Father, Son, Spirit, we are here for you. We are not here for me. We are not here for each other. We are not here for ourselves. We are not here for the music. We are not here for the comfy seats. And we are not here out of convenience. We are not here for entertainment. We are here for you. This is your day. This is your service. This is your word. Help us to delight in you together. May we orient ourselves properly so that we don't become frustrated and disillusioned when the things that are not this day don't happen. And when the things that are supposed to happen in this moment don't. We just want this moment to be what you have designed it to be. Your people worshiping you, delighting in you, Father. Help us to delight in you together through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to talk about Sabbath. Jesus introduces the concept of what it really means. And so asking the question, what does Sabbath really mean, is the same exact thing as saying, what is church? It's like this big question you start to define, like, well, what is church? Is church the place we meet in the building? Is it having a sermon? Is it having music? We, we, we think of the elements of what makes it up. And they're like, well, that's not actually church, right? Because we could meet and not have music and it would still be church. Uh, all right, it's getting trickier. You try to nail it down, and it's elusive. What is church? Well, church can't be just these people, because any Christians gathered could be the church, so it's not actually my friends. Church isn't going to be with my friends. Um, church isn't singing, although it has it. Does it need scripture? Yes, but no, right? Like, try to nail it down. I dare you. It'll, it'll throw you for one of those squiggly loops. Um, Sabbath is the same sort of thing. Day of rest. Okay. Rest is, in my mind, fallen the same way the word love has. It is oversimplified and vague. I tell you rest. What do you think it means? Does it mean taking a nap? Does it mean not going to the office? Does it mean getting a break from kids? Does it mean having stress relieved from you? Because you can take a day off from work and still carry stress all day long and not get a good night's sleep because you are running the hamster wheel in your head. So is that rest? Did it qualify as Sabbath? It's like, well, I don't know. How do you nail this thing down exactly? And then Jesus makes it harder because the way that the Old Testament gave the Jews to observe the Sabbath, he's like, yes and no. Yes and no. Like, good try, but sort of, but not. And then we hit this verse. It's like, one man observes a day as holy, another thinks all days are holy. I'm like, all right, well, it doesn't even happen on any day. It can happen anywhere. And Jesus is our Sabbath rest, so it doesn't even have to be. A, and it's a Ten Commandments, so is it a law? Do we have to observe laws? And we're like, right, this is rest. This is Sabbath. But don't you think we need it? I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. But I think we know we really, really, really need it. Like the opposite, restless is a great word for our age. The restlessness of wanting so many things. The restlessness of busyness. The restlessness of uncertainty. The restlessness. Of, like, so if the opposite defines our world to a T. So if we need a countercultural answer to our day and age, it's going to come in some form of resting in God or in Christ. And that's Sabbath. But just because we go to church on Sunday morning doesn't necessarily make us feel restful. Sometimes it's not restful at all. Or just stopping going to the office on Saturday and Sunday doesn't necessarily make Monday feel like prime peace. It's usually just like take a deep breath and like dive back into the deep end of the pool. We can do this. We can hang on until next Sabbath. So is that what Sabbath is? 
chaos for six and exhaustion for one? No, right? We know it's not, but defining what it is is really actually a very challenging thing. I encourage you to devote your lives to understanding what Sabbath means. It's a good life pursuit. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest for your souls. What's that mean? Because if you're a soul at rest in a crazy world, people are going to look at you and love you and crave whatever drug you're taking. And you just say, it's Jesus. And they're going to say, give me some. But we usually are just frantic also. <laughs> so we have these like breaks, weekly breaks, which kind of recenter us, maybe like our diary help us. But what if we lived in peace on the arrows? What if it wasn't one piece, six crazy? What if it was seven piece? I want more of that. And I want to learn more about that. So the way I'd like to go about this is I'd like to give us five traps that we could fall into that would prevent this from happening. I think these are things I fall into, you fall into. So I'm just going to list them off, talk about them really briefly. Then we're going to read our passage in John and read some other scriptures about Sabbath to help challenge us and what it is. But I can't answer it for you in a way. I'm telling you that it's vital for you. I'm telling you I need it and you need it and the world needs it. But you have to really kind of seek after the Holy Spirit to get it. Because the minute I define it for you, I've made a new law. If I tell you how, then this is how. I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to tell you how. And the fact that it can differ from one person to the next means that each person needs to ask the Holy Spirit what it is. So don't think that you know the Sabbath. I ask you to just put that to the side. We know some of it. Sure, we know what love is too. But then when you start to try to define love, it's like, wow, that's an oversimplified word. I love my coffee and I love my wife. Like, how can we be using the same oversimplified word? All right, I need rest. What do I need rest from? Well, I don't know. God knows and he has plans for this. He's actually given us the Sabbath. It's a gift for us. It does work, but you got to dig into it. You got to go deeper than just Sundays, deeper than just a worship service, deeper than just taking a nap, deeper. It's, it's a deeper thing. We got to get deeper. So here are five traps. I'm sure there's many. Uh, the buffet Sabbath. I'm going to rest from work, but I'm still like career work, but I'm still going to like mow the lawn and paint the house and like visit five friends and be exhausted on a Sunday night. So it's like a buffet. Like I know I'm going to rest from these, but I'm not going to rest from these. And this is going to be wicked, exhausting and stressful, but I know I have to do that. And Sunday's the only day I get to. And like, okay, so buffet, like did we rest or didn't we rest? You might not even know. You need to know what it means to know if you're accomplishing it. But when there's no definition, you actually just don't even know if you're keeping a Sabbath. Maybe you're not. Maybe we think we are, but we're not. So that leads us to the next one, um, the worship service substitute. So people think that going to a church service is what Sabbath is about. That is worship. That is rest. But how many times have you gone and just been bored at a worship service? I have. I've led some of the ones I've been bored at. <laughs> like, that was boring. Didn't feel worshipful at all. So was my heart in that? Was God there? Was that a worshipful thing? Or was it just going to a place and singing a song and reading a verse? Like, is that worship? Because it might not be always. Right? It might not be. But if we check the box, I went to church, then I've done Sabbath. Well, if it's worship, if it's actually getting closer to delight, delighting in the Lord, then we start to measure a Sunday morning service against the phrase delighting in the Lord. And then, uh, maybe. And was it a Sabbath or like a Sabbath hour and a half then, if we go back to busyness afterwards? Like, and just think about this. So the worship service substitute, that does not equal, equal Sabbath. Going to church does not equal. It may be a piece of the puzzle. It does not equal. It is not a one-to-one. -one. That is not the answer. And Sabbath is not a buffet. <laughs> you can't just do this and do this and not do this and do some of this without knowing why you are because are you Sabbathing? Maybe. 
Third one I mentioned already a little bit, it's uh, the exhaustion trap. I don't think it's actually a Sabbath when we're so exhausted on our one day off that we can't enjoy it. Are we really observing Sabbath if on Sunday we're irritable with the people we're around because we're so tired? We have on our minds the fact that we just have to get a break. If I don't get this break, Monday's coming tomorrow. It's like an hour-long countdown. It's like 12 hours till I have to be back in the office again. Like, leave me alone. This is my time. I got to watch some TV. I got to go for a walk with the dog alone. I got to get out in the woods and go hunting. I got like, this is my only time. It doesn't sound like Sabbath. And yet that's our day of rest. Trying to cram in rest. That doesn't even make any sense. But we're so exhausted because of our lives that we can't actually be at rest on Sabbath. We're trying to catch up. Our lives are so out of balance that we can't actually enjoy a Sabbath. Like, What if you had all of your energy on a day to do anything you wanted and you just loved it? That's why we asked the question at the beginning. What's your favorite day look like? That's what Sabbath should look like. (laughs) It should be you with all of your mental faculties, 24 hours to play with, and a blank check. Like, that's good. That's good to be with God in that kind of a place. And worship doesn't always feel like that. Because I have to go for a certain time in a certain place, so okay. And Sundays don't always feel like that, because you might stop from one thing but not stop from other things. Uh, or you might be just trying to, like, rest fast. Like, hurry up and rest. So maybe there's something about our lives that needs to get more balanced, that Sabbath could actually become Sabbath instead of just exhaustion. A tradition trap. We all grew up experiencing Sabbath a certain way, so that defines how we expect it to be. And if it was a good experience, we want to like keep it. If it was a bad experience, we want to like find a new way to experience it. And if church for us, going to church was a boring experience, then we're not expecting much from it. If we've grown up and just been bored by church in general, then why are we going to get older and expect church to start being exciting? That's not our experience. But don't want to delight in it? Don't want our kids to delight in the Lord? So what we've experienced, that tradition really dictates kind of what we're hoping to get out of a day of rest, how we define it, what we think it is. And I'm asking us to put that to the side because if we just look back at all the bad things and say, well, that was never what I needed or that worship wasn't the style that I liked or I like being in a more upbeat service or a more contemplative service or we're like the things that feel like, oh, can we fix that? Then all of a sudden it leads us to this last one, um, the consumer trap, where we're hoping Sunday will be everything for us that we want to do. Ah, if only Sunday could meet all my needs. If only the service could be everything that I ever dreamed. If only the songs could be my favorites this week. If only the message could be one that I connected with yesterday that feels meaningful. If only it could be at the right time of the day when I'm not too tired. If only it could be a concise enough amount of time that I could fit things in before and after. If only it could be temperature controlled and warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And if only the pastor could be super entertaining. And if only my friends could be there so I could have a great time. Like, these are all true things, and I say with a smile, but it's like the the indictment of our day and age. This is what we define church as. It's how we choose what churches we go to. It's what we want from it. What does any of that have to do with God? I just lifted off a bunch of things, and we could actually take God out of all those sentences, and all those things could still be true. Like, nope, that certainly isn't Sabbath. If you can take God out of it, it ain't changing. It's not God's definition. There's got to be more than that. And so can we just expand our Sabbath imagination? That's all I'm asking. We start with John chapter 5 and uh, read from Jesus his actions as well as his teaching. We have two parts. We've got an action. We've got teaching. He puts them together. He's explaining why he did what he did. 
So John chapter 5. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading and catch up if you can. Uh, John 5 verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, these archways. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. Now one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, Brilliant question. Get ready for Jesus' brilliance. Do you want to be healed? We'll come back to that. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. I'll stop right there for just a little bit of context. Evidently, this pool, which is there to this day, and the ruins of these colonnades have been found and excavated. It's a historical site. is fed by an underground stream. And so occasionally that stream kind of like churns up and it stirs the water. And so kind of a mythology arose around that, that when the water was stirred, there was an angel of the Lord stirring the water. And the first person to go into the pool after the angel stirred the water would be healed. So these are people grasping for healing through urban myths and, and you know, attributing things to God. Like, has God given us magic water to ever go in? Like, that's not how God works, right? God says, I created you. I'm the designer. He's a very literal, very like, practical sort of thing. He wanted Jesus to do the healing where the superstition of the day would have said, if you just do it this way, this water can heal you. Jesus said, no, I think God's going to get the glory for this. Thank you very much. So Jesus said to him, well, then get up. Just that simple. Just get up. Take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now, that day was the Sabbath, the day of rest. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, come on. Come on, folks. He'd been there for 38 years, lying on his mat. (laughs) And when he gets up, instead of saying, like, wow, they're like, you're not allowed to carry that. Like, their hearts were not with God. They almost don't have any right to ask a God question in that moment. They don't have the right to, like, ask him about his holiness. When they're so frustrated that he would do something which was, quote, unquote, work on the Sabbath, that they're missing the whole miracle of God's intervention. They're happy to settle for the angel stirring the water version of God's healing. But when it actually happens in front of them, they're worried about the legal rules that got broken. There were so many rules at this time. And if we had been born at that time, this would have been our tradition. We would have grown up with this version of church. It would have made sense to us. We would have grown up and felt like this is right. And within that, we would have wanted to observe the Sabbath. And we would have been told, well, it's possible to carry certain things, but not others. You know, if you're carrying something for work, well, then that's work. But if you're carrying something that's just like helping uh, you to get from A to B or, or something that's not classified as work, well, then that's okay. And we do this for ourselves. This is binding and loosing. Like, I don't feel comfortable going into the office or taking hours at my job on Sunday. We bind ourselves. We say, no, thank you. But I do feel comfortable mowing the lawn because I put on earbuds and I, like, listen to a podcast. Okay, so, like, right? But since the law was trying to set it for every person, the people who were in charge of that were the rabbis, the um, Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers, and lawyers of the law. So they had rules like you couldn't carry someone on their bed, but you could carry them on a couch. Because a bed is something that you'd be like sleeping in, but a couch is something that's just like a decoration. So you're not technically working if you move something from one point to another, but the other one. So like, that's how precise it got. 
and how much when we get our laws so specific, we miss the working of God. It happens to all of us. <laughs> Don't we dare point fingers because this is all we do. This is all humans do. This is the right way. This is the wrong way. How could you do that? Why didn't you do that? Like, keep seeking the spirit. Let's go back and see what God says in every case. Because in this case, he's like, I feel like this 38-year-long suffering should just be done. We've had enough of that. The pool didn't work. I know. I'm going to take care of you. Right? So a beautiful thing happened. They completely missed it because it was breaking the Sabbath. They didn't understand what Sabbath was. That's all we want to get to. And I'm going to belabor this. I'm going to have to like rush through the last so many scriptures because the point is where Jesus takes us now. What really is Sabbath? And we need to get there. Verse 11. He answered them, the man who healed me, the man, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So like if someone healed you, you're probably going to do whatever they ask you to do. <laughs> like, hey, you said go, I can go. Like, I think he's got authority. Like, I just, uh, so he kind of like blamed Jesus. Like, don't look at me. That guy said it. Uh, then they asked him, well, who is this man who said to you, take up your bedwalk? Because now they're on the war path. Who do they have to punish? Verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. So Jesus didn't even give him his name. It was an evangelistic healing campaign. He wasn't trying to get people to go to church. He didn't even tell him. Like, we know that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is like critical to your salvation. In this story, he didn't even do it. He didn't even tell him he was. There's some guy who showed up. He was like, do you want to get well? Because sometimes people are so attached to their infirmities, they don't want to get better. They like their addictions. Just fine, thank you very much. They like their place where they are. They're defined by their illness. I mean, maybe this man had his needs met. People gave alms to the poor. So maybe he was just content. Maybe his friends, his community. You know, some of the homeless folks that we've become friends with, they have a community of friends. They don't want to be off the street. Would you like to be homed? And someone say, no, thank you. Okay. So Jesus is a great listener there. That's a good word for us too. He's listening to what people are hungry for, not forcing upon them his definition of what they need. <laughs> he just listens to the man, but he did. He really did want to be healed. And he said, I have no friends. No one's here with me. I'm here all alone. No one can carry me. And Jesus is like, you don't even need to be carried. You can do this right now. He did not tell him who he was. It's awesome. It's just break our paradigms of sort of like what's required to be out on a mission for God. It does not require a uh, Romans road to salvation or a, uh, a gospel presentation every time. It can just be a work of God that's undeniable, that changes that person, and they're just going to be pursuing wherever they can. They're going to be those squiggly arrows, like, get me back to that person or that thing. Like, what, what happened there? A work of God. More compelling than an evangelistic campaign. Who knew? All right. Um, so, Jesus had withdrawn. Now, verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. So, Jesus goes and seeks him out. Jesus knows the conversation is not done. He seeks him out and he said to him, See, you are well. Now sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. This just makes me wonder if his illness was something related to his own behavior. You know, we tend to read into that like he did something wrong and then God like punished him. So like he said a lie and then God like made his legs not work. But you know, like the lightning bolt from heaven, kind of like wrath of God. Oh, I'm going to be in trouble. I like said something I didn't like. That thing, that's not how God seems to work to me in scripture. But is it possible that his own sins led him to become an invalid? Was it some activity that he took part in? Something that was a sin that put him in the place where he was? We have many treatment centers these days where people are trying to get well because they've abused alcohol for so long and they're not healthy anymore, right? What sort of behavior action or... Jesus connects his results with sin. It doesn't mean that God's sort of arbitrarily making people lame and blind and whatever. 
to show that he's in control, but it does point to the fact that sin has consequences, and Jesus is the solution to that. So I think he's warning, like, don't go back to where you were. Doesn't define the sin, could be anything, but don't go back to that, because look where you ended up. You don't want to be there, so don't go back. Verse 15, so the man went away and he told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. I'm going to read two phrases from other portions of Scripture just to bring them into the conversation. But essentially what I'm suggesting here is that Jesus was not at all breaking the Sabbath. He was restoring the Sabbath. It had been all the people with all their laws that had broken it because it wasn't meant to be that. Jesus was restoring the Sabbath. The phrase I want to read that comes from Mark says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. That's critical if you want to understand what the Sabbath is. It's for us. It's like, here's a gift for you to delight in the Lord, to not have to feel like you have to work all the time, to not be stressed out, to not to have a Sabbath, to rest in the Lord. And they need it back then just as much as we need it today. So it's for us. So we can't feel a slave to it. I got to make sure I do this. It has to be on this way. Like that's the role reversal. So that's important. Jesus is restoring that. And then in Romans 14, I alluded to this earlier, Paul writes, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, and the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So from Jesus to Paul to us, we're called to make it a day honoring the Lord. A day observing, but not all the same. It's okay to do it differently, but we need to know why. We need to feel, as Paul writes, fully convinced in our own minds. So this is the first time I'm going to ask you to stop and turn to the people around you, the same people who you got to share your perfect day with before, and I'd like you to just think about the difference between what's required on Sabbath, you know, the law part of it, versus the things that are like the principles of Sabbath, things that we should pursue versus things we have to do. So share from your own experience things that you feel like are necessary or things you feel like are optional or how you approach it. And I think we'll all have different sort of definitions of it, and that's okay. But law versus principle. Five minutes. All right, we are back to Genesis because if we are going to get answers, they need to come from Scripture, right? We've asked a good question. That's all we've done so far. We've asked a good question. But if we want answers, we have to get them from Scripture because as I'm sure you saw instantly, there's a million different thoughts. Great. So it's a good question. It's the right question. It's a beautiful question. It's a question I wish our world was asking. What if Amazon was asking, how can we like inspire restfulness? <laughs> what if Facebook was like, how can I get our people to rest through using this app? Right? It's not our world. We know that. We can be that in the world, though. So here is where it comes from. Genesis 1, Exodus 16, Exodus 20, and Deuteronomy 5. There are four scriptures. And we're just going to read them quickly. They are the reason for Sabbath. They are the definition. They are the building blocks. Let's go with that. Let's go with building blocks of Sabbath. Genesis 1, uh, we'll start with verse 27. We're stepping into the end of the creation account. And we're going to see that each time the Sabbath is mentioned, it's beautiful that this is, a different reason is given for why the Sabbath is important. 
So in God's thing, God's economy, God's wisdom, there isn't going to be the same answer given four times. So even for God, it wasn't sort of like I'm setting up this very structured, orderly box type thing. It's like this is what it's like, and this is how it applies. So four different ways, four different reasons for Sabbath. Genesis 1, 27. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and told them, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Be masters over the fish and the birds and the animals. And God said, look, I've given you the seed-bearing plants throughout the earth, all the fruit trees for your food. I've given you all the grasses and other green plants to the animals and birds, their food. And it was so And God looked over all he had made, and he saw it was excellent in every way. It was a delight to God to create. Now, this all happened on the sixth day. And so this creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, having finished his task, God rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from his work of creation. This is saying that the Sabbath in this instance is about the glory of God, the excellence. It's a stepping back and admiring the handiwork of God. That to me is a wonderful definition for worship also, if you want to like tuck that away. Stepping back and admiring the excellence of God. That's wonderful. That, that, that will center us in a good way. Because then you can have that at a church service or not. You can have it on a Sunday or on a Thursday night or where, like it's a different sort of thing. But in this, God doesn't need sleep. It's not talking about physical rest. And he didn't actually stop from everything. He was still abounding in mercy and in love. His justice was still on full display. He was providentially keeping the planet spinning. What he stopped doing was the thing he had built. So he ceased from his project and saw that it was good. And he stepped back and admired it. It's it's like how God worships himself. It's God just declaring his glory. We can't worship ourselves, so we step into God's fear and we worship his glory. But this is the way God would do it. It's like a God worship service where only God's present. He's like, my glory is pretty amazing. And he's not proud. He's not arrogant. He's not boastful. It's just fact. And it's good. Right? So this is a worship statement. It's not about sleep. Remember, Jesus said, my father has always been working up to this very day, and so I am always working. Usually when we hear that, it's sort of like, that sounds exhausting, always working. But what if you're always delighting in something excellent coming to be? I could do that all day. You could do that all day. You've been made to do that all day. (laughs) And then to rest at the end of it and to step back and admire the excellence of what God has made. So the first place we see Sabbath, it's about worship. It's about admiring the excellence of God. Now, the second one is in uh, Exodus chapter 16. So feel free to flip there, or I can just read it for us. It has to do with the Israelites and manna. It's not being provided for by God. They're being told, as you wait on God's provision, still observe the Sabbath. So when you're in need, when you don't have money, when you're broke, when you're scared, when all this stuff, when you're trying to make ends meet, this is still the time. In this case, Sabbath is about trust. Sabbath is about provision. So Exodus chapter 16 Verse 21. No, he'll skip down. Fine. All right, verse 27. Uh, Verse 25. Uh, Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath, the manna. Eat it for the today of the Sabbath, Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. 
Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Therefore, remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So this is a trust definition of Sabbath. This, again, isn't a physical rest. God's given them physical rest, but the point that's made by Moses here is that God will provide for your needs. So Sabbath is about trusting God. So sometimes we go get the extra job on a Sunday or on our Sabbath because we're worried, and it seems like the balance sheet doesn't match up, and it probably doesn't. That's a real step of faith to say, I don't want to do that. Or I can say yes to this, but not to that. Again, we're not making laws here, but we certainly have to ask the right questions. And the Israelites had no food show up on Sundays. So they gathered twice on Saturdays. But if they tried to gather twice on any other day of the week, it went bad. This can happen with our bank accounts, too. We try to hoard it on all the wrong days, and then it just disappears. Where did that money go? And then on the day when we really need it, there's extra money there. Where did that money come from? God's economy. So Sabbath is a trust exercise. This isn't about physical rest. First one's about worship. Second one's about provision, about trust. Third one, Exodus 20. So this is in the Ten Commandments. We're going to read Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. The two different descriptions by Moses. He wrote both of them, but he wrote them differently. Isn't that interesting? Ten Commandments. You figure it's sort of like dot, 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 same, and then, okay, Deuteronomy, dot, dot, dot. No. He says, keep a Sabbath in the first telling in Exodus and says, this is why. And then when he tells it again in Deuteronomy, he says, this is why. There are two whys, even to Moses. Even in the Ten Commandments, there was two whys. This is really important for us to realize. Jesus was restoring Sabbath. He was not breaking Sabbath. So anyway, uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Moses writes in the Ten Commandments to God's people, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the traveler who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day and the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He made it awesome. Sabbath is awesome. This is actual physical rest. We've gotten there. (laughs) You get to actually just take a load off. And you should try to help the people around you not to work either. I had a, a family friend of mine down in college who I went to visit them on some weekends, as kids do, travel and visit different parents' houses. And they wouldn't go out to eat on the Sabbath because they felt like they were asking someone else to work on a day when they didn't want to work. So again, that's a personal application. It's not a law in scripture. But I appreciated that they had been thoughtful in that way. I appreciated that. Like the, the alien within your gates, like that's someone in your town. Like, They want to make money, so if they're going to get money on that day from you, they'll be open. (laughs) But what if no one came on Sundays? Then they'd close. They'd be open the days when people come. So if we don't frequent, then they don't, you know, no, just thinking, just thinking. Ah, please rest. We need renewal. We are like the soil. You can't keep planting it all the time. You've got to give it a break. So there's worship, there's trust, but there is just rest. So you should, like, take a nap on a Sunday. You should try to sleep in. You should try to go to bed early. You should, like, relax and put your feet up. That's part of Sabbath. And so if in observing the Sabbath, we are still frantically busy, but not with our career, we've not quite gotten there yet. We've not gone far enough. It should be really restful. Now, sometimes on Sundays, I have to wrestle with this in like sort of weird ways for myself. Like I'm sometimes super tired, 
after preaching a sermon or after being at church and singing music. And like, like they're output things. I've been looking forward to them all week. I'm excited and sort of pour out my heart and then go home and I'm tired. But then what better day to just like rest and just be tired and enjoy that God was there. So if we're delighting in God, then you can be tired when you delight in him. If rest isn't just I feel rested or rest means just I don't go to work or rest means I just don't go. To, like if it's a delight in the Lord, then I love to delight in the piano in the Lord. And I love to delight in God's word in the Lord. Change the definition a little bit. And that's what we're going to see. Delighting in the Lord is the, the, the ultimate goal of Sabbath. Fourth one. This is Deuteronomy 5. It's the second telling of the Ten Commandments. Um, 5.12. Moses writes, Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days shall you labor and draw your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner that has been to your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest with you as well. Like give rest to someone else. That's a beautiful thing to think about. How can you give rest to your family members? Can Sunday be like a Mom, go out and have a good time day. Can it be dad, get a break and go golfing day? Could it be like, can you give rest also? I think you can. You know, Moses mentions that, expands the definition. Verse 15, but this is the key. He says, you shall remember, right? Remember the Sabbath day. What shall you remember? This is huge. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day ultimately is a day of gratitude to God. It is not a day of personal pleasure. It's a day of gratitude. Remember that we were slaves. Remember when we were caught up in the rat race. Remember when we were struggling with our addictions. Remember when we were lost. Remember when we had that overwhelming fear. Remember when and how God. That's the definition of Sabbath. It's a day basking in the excellence of what God has done. So sometimes when we just define it as rest, like love, you know, I love my teapot. I love my like stuffed animals. I love God. The word gets too oversimplified. We're like, well, I rested. You know, I watched some football in the afternoon and I had a beer and I rested. And that is a form, but it's like one of the parts. Did you remember the goodness of God? Was it a day of gratitude? Or was it a day of just exhaustion? Was it a day of dreading Monday morning? Was it a day of being delighted in God's presence? Is that what you felt when you went to church and observed the Sabbath? Was it a day of delight? Did you remember the Lord your God who saved you? That's getting better, I think. We're getting closer. And I don't even care if we nail it down, but just get us closer than like day of rest. We have to. So here's where I ask you to turn to your groups again and think about those four things. Worship, trust, renewal, and gratitude. Which one of those speak to you most highly? Which ones do you want to work on some more? Which ones have you found great success in achieving for Sabbath? Gratitude to God, trusting in him, physical rest, and worship. Okay, go. Five more minutes. What a shame you won't be able to talk about this at any other time. <laughs> that you don't know each other and carrying on continuous relationships and like ongoing spiritual growth. You'll be able to jump back into this, it's a shame, but uh, if you ever wanted to, you could. You could just call someone up and like, just keep it going. Anytime, really. One final scripture and then a closing song, and that will bring our time of worship. Hopefully it was Sabbath in God's definition to a close. So you don't need to turn there, but if you want to make a note for yourself, I just want to read in closing from Isaiah 58. 
where God has a, a very stinging indictment of people who are practicing their religion in a way that didn't actually achieve the love of God. And we just don't want that to be us. We want our Sabbath to be based in love. We want our fasting to be based in love. So I'll just read it for us. Prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord to the Jewish people at that time. Is this the type of fast that I choose, God says, a day just for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer you. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and instead call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I, God says, will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Right? That's Isaiah. That's like hundreds of years before Christ, and it's still true because we're just all people. So extend ourselves some grace. Recognize this is the trap we all fall into, but don't settle. Do not settle. Keep pursuing a real Sabbath, a real fast, so that the world can see the light of Christ and that we can actually experience the things we're praying for because we're honoring God. You notice it's not just a day for us to take our own pleasure. We think Sabbath day is just like a free day. Yes, if we're delighting in all that God has done and what he's doing and in him, then we're as free as we ever could be. Rest, sleep, rejoice, worship. But take our delight in the Lord. That's the closest that I think I can get us to how to define this very moving object, moving target. So let me say a word of prayer. I hope let's go on up and uh, get ready to close this in, uh, in a song. Um, may we all achieve a delight in the Lord. Father God, just teach us what it means, each one of us, each individually and corporately and collectively for this New Hope Chapel family on Sundays specifically and on other days of the week. May we delight in you. May our worship truly be worship and our Sabbath truly be Sabbath. Uh, we ask you to teach us more about this as we grow. In Jesus' name, amen.